Career podcast series featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries. Here, we explore various approaches to craft and career, and even consider how those two can sometimes work together. Thanks to all our listeners. We're excited to be returning for our second season. I'm still Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy. It's a privilege to introduce our first guest for this season, Catherine Lowe. Producer, screenwriter, multidisciplinary talent. She also happens to be president of Eaton Workshop Hospitality Company. Catherine's also a Yale College alumna who studied sociocultural anthropology before earning her MFA in directing and screenwriting from USC. Catherine, Welcome. It is such a pleasure to have you on the Craft and Career Podcast. Thank you, Derek. I'm very excited to be here. So are we. Been looking forward to this for a while. And we usually start the podcast on just this purely contextual side. We, we asked this, this strange framing question about the difference between craft and career. And we recognize everyone uses those terms differently. We don't even use them necessarily the same way with each of our episodes. So to start, if I say something like, What's your career all about? That's such a big word. I'd love to hear first your thoughts on what does career even mean? And then secondly, yes, individually for you, um, what does your career mean for you? So to me, career is more multi-layered in that it encompasses both the ideal and the realistic. A few years ago, I was introduced to this Japanese concept, Ikigai, which I loved. The concept of Ikigai, so you imagine four concentric circles One of them is what you love. One of them is what you're good at. One is what the world needs. And one is what you can make a living from. And where those four circles meet is Ikigai. And I really like that. And that's how I would like to think of career. And as for what is my career, um, I can get to that later on. I think you have a lot of questions that touch on that. So Sure, absolutely. So so then in parsing, if career has this uh, ikigai, you know, beautiful, by the way, I, I really love that as an analogy. If that's the way that we can sort of frame your concept of career, where does craft fit into that mix? Maybe it's a part of that. It sounds like it probably is a part of that. But like which edge or which corner or which quadrant does it fall in and how does it fall there for you? Knowing that, you know, from your background, you're doing both your own kind of creative and artistic um, practices, but also facilitating the practices of others. So um, I love craft. Uh, That's the thing I care about the most at the end of the day. I see craft as something that's more purist, purely concerned with the details of an immersion into the craft itself, whether it be art, architecture, film, music, or design. I see craft as also existing without the constraints and challenges and realities of industry and finances and other elements like city planning approval or box offices. Right. We actually touched on this just now, but after Yale, when I did my MFA in film at USC, I realized that 100% of the classes I took, I chose to take were all about the craft, like editing, sound design, cinematography, directing, writing, but I actually didn't take any courses in the business of film or industry of film. So I think it's really great that you're making that distinction here. Great, yeah. And I'd love to hear that that's such an important element of, of what, what drives you. So if we want to go a little bit deeper on that craft side and what it specifically means within your sort of daily practice and that sort of thing, I guess one thing I would want to know, and, and usually our audience is pretty interested in the idea, the craft part, that creative part can be nuanced and ephemeral and hard to contain and hard to qualify in a lot of different ways. And it, it's amorphous. It can take on so many different you know shapes and forms, which makes it rewarding in a lot of ways, but also makes it difficult. 
what keeps you coming back to that part, which in a sense is, is what can make things that would otherwise be laid out fairly straightforward and like, okay, here's what's the equation and what's the answer to the equation. What brings you back to the complication that is inherited in craft and brings you back to the table, even though it makes it more difficult? So I love the way you describe it with the word ephemeral and something more profound. What keeps me returning to my craft every day is my love of film and storytelling in the more, in the more purest sense. And as you've mentioned, since my career actually doesn't explicitly overlap with my craft right now, I have to really intentionally carve out that space to return to my craft. I remember when I was in film school, I had professors who were parents who talked about how every day they would set aside 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. just so they could write, so they could balance that with their teaching job and their parenting. So for me, I find that changing my environment and creating a compartmentalization schedule really helps me to sustain and keep my practice alive. When I was in film school, I found it helpful to rent a hotel room for a weekend sometimes to make the final push to finish writing my screenplays, having that chance to unplug with no distractions, having a minimalist environment with a singular goal. That really helped me to focus on the creative goal at hand. Last year, another example of during a really stressful time at work, I took seven days off and I rented an Airbnb cabin in the mountains and I followed a very strict schedule of meditation and writing. I was able to take that experience back to my daily life so I can sustain my craft as I balance it with my career. That's fantastic. Yeah. But both of those examples, the hotel and, and Airbnb, I mean, they're, they're in a sense, um, and I'm seeing this pattern with other artists that I've been speaking with. It's almost like you're, you're building your own residency. It's almost like you're, you're, you're carving out a version of, of that, you know, at the pond sort of, you know, space or, you know, room of one's own sort of a, a kind of a feel to it. Um, that's fantastic. Yes. I love that comparison. Um, carving out your own mini residency, like for people who don't have the privilege or to maybe, you know, give three or six months of their life to right. go live in a residency. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think carving it out and trying to fit it into your daily life. Yeah. I fall firmly into that 5 a.m. before the kids are up category. So I, I'm also very sympathetic to, to, to that side of things. So what feeds you? And I mean creatively. What are you reading, watching, imbibing in one way or another? Music as well, obviously. And I, I know that's part of your background as well. So what's really making things move for you right now or, or even particular to whatever project you have going on at the moment? Or, or what's a well that you go back to creatively again and again? So this is a really beautiful question. I think one of my biggest inspirations is the architect Lewis Kahn. Right. Yes. As we know, because we were at Yale. So there's the beautiful Center for British Art. And then I actually went to Exeter for boarding school and he has a library there that's sublime. And I was able to study there every day. I didn't realize how lucky I was at the time. Right. But there's something really profound about the role his architecture plays in fostering not only beauty, but community, knowledge, spirituality, and universal truth. So I definitely always come back to his work for that well of inspiration and strength. In the television arena, something inspiring i recently watched was vince gilligan and peter gold's better call saul oh right yeah the yeah. spin-off prequel of breaking bad yeah. i was in film school when breaking bad came out and our screenwriting professor had us watch it as an example of a 
perfect pilot. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. The series of Better Call Saul had actually just ended, I think, a few few nights ago. I thought it was this perfectly crafted, beautiful and deep character study of tragedy and redemption. The filmmaking craft in it was really literary in the structure, motifs, callback, and use of color and visuals to convey something deeper. Yeah. It was really rigorous and this emotional balance of storytelling, character, writing, acting, scoring, cinematography felt like it was a TV show that was really more like a poem, wow. not a line or word out of place. And in a world of throwaway content yeah. today, yeah. that was really a work of art that I found to be very uh, endearing and pure. So it's fantastic. It's such a great example too, because it lives within popular culture in a, in a lot of ways, but it, it, it doesn't mean you don't have to be esoteric or on the edge of, of society in order to be doing beautiful things and doing them very well. I like that. Yeah. Sometimes I find those are the most interesting spaces. I think you used the word liminal earlier, the liminal space between, I guess, high art and popular art. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I, I love both the, the, I mean, the Lewis Kahn Wells, I think many people have that as a well, particularly here on campus, but I, I love that that's carried over and, and it was actually a part of a, a different part of your life as well. So I know with Eaton and everything you have going on with the workshop, I know community is so important to you, but I wonder a little bit of that. Yes. But also I'm wondering if that, how that carries over when we think of community in terms of your own personal practice you know, writing communities, writers need to have people reading their stuff and they're reading other people's stuff. You need to have a connectivity and a, a relational development in order to get your material seen by other people. Any and all of that sort of surrounds the craft part of this. But it's interesting because it seems like you're coming from a perspective or a direction where you, you must be quite good at community building just because of all the facilitation that you've done you know, through Eaton. So tell me a little bit more about the the back and forth and the skills involved in either of those things. Yes, I'd love to get into that. So with Eaton, well, first of all, I had never intended to go into business. That's not what drives me. So my goal with building Eaton was not to build a business, but actually to build a real community. So you've hit the nail on the head. Um, I think our Eaton's community is very vibrant and multidisciplinary. It crosses from visual art to music, radio, film, theater, literature to the nonprofit and impact world and also design and hospitality. So when I was creating it years ago, one of the concepts that I utilized and found very inspirational was the third place, which was a phrase coined by Ray Oldenburg in his book, The Great Good Place in 1989. It's this place outside of home and work where you feel belonging. Classically, that would be like the cafe, the coffee shop, the barber shop. So really that was a big inspiration for creating Eaton, wanting people that engage with us and that visit us to feel this belonging that goes deeper than the surface. And then it's this sincere striving towards utopia that I think has made Eaton really touch the community so deeply in Hong Kong and Washington, D.C., where our two locations are. I wanted Eaton to be the stage for people, for their personal hero's journey to unfold and also for Eaton to create the conditions for people and communities to be their best. How did I build it? 
in the early years, I talked to a lot of hospitality industry mentors for advice and research. I brought in designers and architects, and they explored the questions with me about how to utilize design to build spaces that create these conditions for community building. Then I brought in talent from the food, creative, music, radio, art, and impact world to build out those aspects of Eden. And then something really important, I found local talent in our cities, DC and Hong Kong, with local connections to the arts and impact communities. And I hired them as Eaton's directors of culture, impact, music, and wellness. Before we opened our doors, we also had these community listening sessions where we invited filmmakers, music store owners, positivity podcasters, uh, gender studies professors. We invited a a large collection of people from each city and we held these listening sessions where we asked them, you know, what does your city need right now? What do you need? What can Eaton do for you? And the resounding answer from many of them was space, physical space, because of the rising rents and gentrification. A lot of them had lost their spaces for their projects or organizations. And we were able to synergize that with Eaton, where we provided the space to them. And in return, they helped us to build our community. So having those you know, living and breathing community relationships have really brought the whole concept to life and given it a life of its own. So I'm wondering that narrative cracks pretty easily knowing the success that you've had with Eaton and, and, you know, the respect that it has in its different locations for being a cultural and artistic and creative hub. How were you able, or have you been able to roll some of those lessons or the skills involved in that over into your, your own personal creative practice? in building individually supportive community for your writing, for your screenwriting, for the the many different things you're doing on that side. Thank you for not forgetting about that question. Equally important. Yes, the craft. As I've launched Eaton and been running it all these years, I've also simultaneously in my free time, I've been directing my first feature documentary. And over the course of several years, we filmed about 150 hours of footage about the architect Mies van der Rohe. And a lot of it is, you know, carving out that time, like I said, the compartmentalization to be able to work on that. But um, in terms of building the community, I also made a big effort to attend film festivals and music festivals and keep up that place of inspiration, watching films, listening to new music, making connections and just keeping up those relationships so that when the time comes, I can have people to call on if I need artistic feedback or, you know, advice. Do you feel like you have, there's circles and circles, right? When it comes to these things, do you feel like you have that internalized, centered, almost nuclear version of a the, the small group of people that you, you can, can de- depend on as someone to read something, hear something, talk through something, and you, you reciprocate? Um, do you have that kind of a community built around your practice? I have very close friends from each like era or stage of my life, from Yale, from USC, and from the periods since then. You know, one or two people from each stage that I really just see as a trusted inner circle that I can come to with creative and or life, you know, deep life questions. That's fantastic. And yeah, that's incredibly important for anyone to have that. And I like to hear that you've carried that through the different phases too, because sometimes from, for a young creative, it can sometimes feel like, well, I don't have anything yet. Well, no, you've got what you have right now and you'll build on that. And it's, it's okay if you end up with one or two people from college and then one or two people from your, your first dalliance into industry. And it, like you accumulate those connections over time and, and it's, 
you know, I, so it, I like the narrative of you being able to, to talk about things in terms of like carrying it on, you know, through the years. That's, that's great. I think that's very healthy. Yeah. I think if one is true to themselves, like the people from all the stages of life, like I love when you meet a friend from, well, I guess, depending on how old you are 20 years ago, and it's as if no time had passed because both of you are still so true to yourself or are so connected on that level. Yeah, that's actually great. When you can reconnect with someone when you haven't had the daily interaction for years and it still feels like you're in that same spot, that same place. Like, yeah, that's that's a great way to test you know, the, the, the depth of that creative friendship. Yeah. So to drift us back to the, the other C, the career side of things and, and sort of like the, the, the picture that surrounds that. We've already kind of touched on the idea that you have a, a multifaceted career, right? As, as most creatives do, like there's there's different boxes, different buckets that we sort of fill up and, and, and some of them are closer to our creative engagement. Some of them are associated, but maybe farther away. Can you tell us more about that narrative? Like how you got to where you are now, some of the decisions that brought you there and, and what did it look like in terms of tracking both the progression? You, you mentioned you, you didn't, you, you had not necessarily early on had the intention of going into business and making a hotel, right? Regardless of how embracive and culturally, res, culturally resonant that hotel is. What did it look like in terms of the decisions that opened those doors for you? And how did you keep in mind the kind of inspiration and creativity? How did you make sure you tracked that and kept it with you along the way? Thank you. Yeah, this is an amazing question as well. I think I'm in a unique position because right now my career does not explicitly overlap with my craft, but they do inspire and inform each other. I studied music and visual art and humanities my whole life. And I spent all my high school summers doing art related things like interning at an art gallery or art foundation one really early instrumental experience was doing the Summer Institute at the Art Institute of Chicago. When I was in high school, I took a course in urban drawing and we drew the architecture of Chicago. So funnily enough, full circle, now I'm doing the documentary on Mies van der Rohe and a lot of his work is in Chicago. At Yale, I began in visual art, but I actually transitioned to major in cultural anthropology after I got interested in social and environmental work. And after Yale, I got my MFA in film directing and screenwriting. And very shortly after film school, I actually started working for my father's family business in hotels. Strangely, it was actually through Mies van der Rohe. So it all like connects in this very weird, multi-layered way. But one day at the dinner table, he said that his hotel company had acquired a Mies van der Rohe building and they were going to convert it into a hotel. And I just thought that was uh, history in the making because that had never happened before. And it was one of Mises' last buildings before he passed away, the IBM building in Chicago. And so I actually asked if I could start, you know, observing and filming that project, maybe as a short documentary, but somehow like, and I've always loved design and architecture, even though I didn't study it, but I somehow got roped into the whole architectural process. And then I became like my my father's representative as the client on the project, working with the designers and architects. And I just, I kind of fell in love with that world. I love architecture. So that was the way I entered my father's family business. And so, although I'd never intended to work in business shortly after that, about eight years ago, while I was working on the documentary and living in New York, my father asked me if I would start a new hotel brand for him that would reflect the needs of this 
crazily changing world. And even though it completely aligned with my creative goals, I thought long and hard about it. And I chose to undertake the challenge because I thought it was a really incredible opportunity to be able to channel these resources towards reimagining hospitality as a space to support artists and also social and environmental impact. I also love that you brought up the difference between an artist and curator, because that's Those are the distinctions I've been using to look at my life that has been really helpful. Even though my craft is in filmmaking as an artist, my current career is more in this facilitator, curator, providing the platform for other artists role. And through Eden, we've supported and exhibited artists in many mediums, painters, writers, musicians, filmmakers, dance choreographers, even virtual reality and new media and more. So that has been very inspiring and informative as well to be on this curator side of things and to be able to engage with so many different artists across the world. Yeah. I mean, it has to be to your benefit to be able to, in some ways, speak that creative language. It has to help, right? Do you feel that commonality in some ways that helps with the facilitation and curation? Definitely. Having those lines blurred, because it's not as typical as a normal client or curator, but someone who speaks that language and you know loves the world of art um, to be able to speak with other artists and architects. There is a, a lot of empathy there and understanding, I think. You're right. That can only come from being a practitioner. So you've mentioned a few times that at least currently the two different facets and and that there is a little bit of overlap, but you're actually pursuing them somewhat separately. With that in mind, could you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like on a daily basis when you're wearing more than one hat? When do you change hats? How do you change hats? How do you change mindsets in the midst of your day or week? Could you tell us a little bit more about like what a what a normal day or week might look like, assuming there's multiple kinds of projects that are happening at a given time? Yeah. So this is very practical advice that I wish I had known (laughs) 10 years ago, but you know, that compartmentalization schedule I mentioned earlier. So that's a recent thing in my life. And I developed it in order to fulfill and balance all these different parts of craft and career. So I've I have figured out that I'm not an effective multitasker. Others may be great at it, but I work best when I can fully focus on a single thing for like a really long block of time. So I actually made each day of the week different so I can fulfill those different aspects. So in one week, I have a few days dedicated to my job at Eaton. I have a few days to edit my documentary and I just started a master's degree in music composition. So I have a few days for that. And then I have one day for rest and inspiration. And I think you asked about the favorite and least favorite parts. Um, My favorite part of the day is meditation. I've been integrating that into the beginning of every day and that really helps set me up for whatever may come. Another favorite part is when I get to have time to read or listen to music or watch something. And my least favorite would be the logistical task. (laughs) The the necessary part that holds it all together, but is not fun. Yes. (laughs) That's great. Do you have a anecdote or personal story or something that sort of in, in, in some ways encapsulates what we, what you'd like us to know about your industry? And I guess you kind of drift between a couple of different industries here, but maybe just even in that kind of, you know, hybrid form, like, do you have a, a story that sort of helps us understand just how these things sort of bleed together? Uh, yeah, I'll focus on the hospitality industry. I would say, don't be afraid to think outside the box and be true to yourself. 
There's actually an analogy from my art school days that I find really helpful. Before you can do abstract drawing, you have to first master realist and figurative drawing to master the rules so you can then break them. So when I started out, I trained in conventional hospitality. I talked to mentors in the industry. And then when it came time to start my own brand, that's when I brought in elements outside the box from my training and background that were completely unrelated to hospitality, like art and music, social and environmental work, and also holistic wellness. And the combination of all these factors led to the creation of Eaton, which has made a positive impact on the industry with other companies following suit. Early anecdotes, even when I wanted to have a cinema inside the hotel or if I wanted to do things that everyone takes for granted now, I faced a lot of pushback. And, and when those ideas were literally just on paper, a lot of people were very skeptical. And so it, it did take a lot to, of belief in the concept to really push through those challenges. And then once we opened our doors, everyone was like, oh, wow, now that we can see it and experience it, they're all about it. So I think you just have to be true to yourself and don't be afraid to think outside the box. It can probably apply to any industry. Sure. That's helpful. We normally end uh, the first segment by having you walk us through a couple of different sort of, actually, you've, you've kind of already you know, peaked us in the direction of like advice, like an advisory side of these things. So I was wondering if you could give us, if you only had one bit of advice for a young, creative looking in you know, vaguely similar directions. And again, like it, this, this could be broad, right? What would you want them to know as they sort of face the field? What would you want them to, to think about or keep in mind? If you could just say one thing, you're, you're, you're whispering them the, the, the mantra as they, they leave the door, what would it be? So I think for a student who's just starting out on their path, I would say, think deeply about what you love and what you're good at. Virginia Woolf wrote in her essay, Modern Fiction, don't write what others tell you to write, write what inspires you. I think starting from this place, being true to yourself first and foremost, and always holding this place uh, close to your heart is really crucial. So that's the one piece of advice I would give. So, and how about, um, is there an instance? And I know I ask this a lot and everyone always says, I'd never change anything because it got me here. So skipping that as a philosophical quandary, if was there a moment, was there something that you you second guess or, or, or to point back, you, you sort of have learned from to say like, well, that's a juncture where I might've done something a little bit differently that you learned from in a way that, that we could learn from. Yes, I actually have many of them, much more than many more than one. <laughs> when I graduated from USC, my screenwriting professor told me my feature screenplay was a perfect low budget indie that I should make right away after graduation. That was in the late 2000s when everything was different. So not foreseeing the future, I wish I had taken his advice and made it then and there because I never could have sure. imagined how drastically the world and the film industry would have changed from 2010 to 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> there was no writing on the wall either. So, <laughs> no, I mean, even if I made it now, it'll never be the same as before streaming started and, you know, the place of feature films going to the cinema, like everything has changed. Sometimes it's about grabbing the opportunity in, in, when it presents itself. Exactly. Because you can never tell what, yeah, what's going to happen or what will 
how the world will change. Right. And, and we're now, yeah, after, you know, these, this, this, the last five years, everything's, uh, I think we're, we're much more sensitive to those, the, those shifts and possible major shifts that, um, who knew that those things could happen. How about, why don't we end for, for just this segment with you telling us about something exciting on your horizon, something that's going on with you or Eaton or a combination. Um, yeah. What, what's, what's kind of bubbling at the edge that you'd like to share with us? So I'm really excited for Eaton to begin um, archiving our stories. So I know it's obviously unusual for a hotel company to have archives, right, but yeah. we just launched our new website and we worked with this creative agency folder studios they archived decades worth of radio content for dub lab radio and decades of music for ghostly international which is a record label which was very motivating to us and even though eden has only been around for four or five years we have thousands of photos recordings videos and stories that haven't been published anywhere just as an example at eden hong kong we've hosted an annual women's festival and i heard from the participants, how being at the festival was magical and how they wish it was something that could have been recorded for people who weren't there. So that's something I'm really excited about. We'll be working on releasing these archival stories so that we can share the work of all these artists and organizations for a wider audience. Fantastic. Anything personally? I mean, like on that other craft kind of edge? Yes. Making headway on editing my Mies documentary. And I just started my master's degree in music composition. So I'm wow. very inspired <laughs> in those parts of my life. Wow. And with this new compartmentalization schedule, it's been really a lot more effective for me because while I was starting Eaton, it was in that startup crazy company mode. And so that was like a hundred percent of my time. But now that I've been able to, now that that's up and running, I've been able to rededicate time to my craft. Fantastic. That's, that's great to hear. So uh, this has been such a pleasure and we'll come back around and we'll go a little bit deeper in some of these topics, but that was a great introduction and, and, and such great material. So uh, Catherine, thank you so much. I appreciate your involvement in this and, and I look forward to picking this back up with you. Thank you, Derek. I loved your questions and it was really great for me to reflect on all of these questions. Fantastic. Well, that's all for the first segment with our first guest of the second Craft and Career podcast season. Thanks again, Catherine. Can't wait for part two next week. Until then, in case anyone out there forgot, don't be afraid to use the word career, but always stay crafty.